0: Our reading this morning is from Luke 4, and it's verses 14 to 21, and if you have a a church Bible, it's on page 1031. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Davina. Let's um, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word, the living word, who breathed life into being. And we thank you that your word brings life, and we pray that you would bring life afresh to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's important as we look at this passage uh, from Luke chapter 4 that we look a little bit of the context and see where Jesus is in his ministry and why uh, this is so significant. In the chapters uh, leading up to this in Luke's gospel, uh, we've had uh, a number of really key events. Obviously, uh, the birth of Jesus himself, Jesus presented in the temple. Uh, We have John the Baptist preparing the way as we were looking at through uh, our season of Advent. Uh, And then we have uh, the genealogy of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And we know from uh, other gospel accounts that that also just before that, we have the baptism of Jesus where he's baptized by John the Baptist. Baptist, and the spirit descends on him like a dove. And we hear the voice of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so this is where Jesus is entering into this scene that we have here where Jesus has already been growing a reputation as being a rabbi, as being a teacher. And he already has lots of disciples. It's a common misunderstanding that Jesus had 12 disciples. He didn't It wasn't customary for rabbis of the time to have 12 disciples. They would have many, many, many disciples. Anyone who chose to follow them and listen to them was considered a disciple, uh, somebody who was following that particular rabbi. He did, however, appoint, as we know, 12 apostles, which was a slightly different role, slightly different context. Uh, They were called to be not only those who would learn from him, but those who would go on to teach as well. Uh, You may know the the classic phrase where Jesus calls the disciples and says, I will make you fishers of men. That is a well-known phrase at the time that basically meant, I will make you teachers. You will teach as I teach. And so the 12 had a very specific uh, role within this. But Jesus already has disciples. We know this because uh, one of the things that that happens is that when John the Baptist is uh, proclaiming that Jesus is coming... Jesus comes over the hillside, John the Baptist baptizes him, and then a number of people leave John in order to follow Jesus. So he's already got this reputation as being a rabbi, as being a teacher, as being somebody who knows the things of God and is teaching the things of God. And we read that he's been traveling about to different synagogues uh, teaching the good news of, of the kingdom of God. And then we find him here returning... To, uh, to, to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and going into the synagogue there as was his custom. This was a synagogue in which Jesus was very well known. A synagogue where he's surrounded by people who've known him since he was a child. And there's a crowd gathered there There are a number of people in the synagogue, those who perhaps had seen him at his baptism and had wanted to find out more, those perhaps who had followed him uh, from where he had been, from in Galilee, and heard him teaching along the way, those who perhaps knew him since he was growing up and wanted to hear what this Jesus had to say. And here he is in the temple, in, in the sorry, in the in the synagogue, and he's handed. The scroll. That in itself helps us to know that he was already recognized as a teacher because they wouldn't have handed the scroll to just anybody. They handed it to people who they believed would unpack what it had to say. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus unrolls the scroll and finds the place where the passage from Isaiah is is that we've heard read. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he is anointed to be. And he reads it out. And there must be something, I'm sure, about the way that he read it that captured people's hearts and minds and imaginations. I mean, maybe they just wanted to know what he had to say because of who he was or the reputation that he had. But my hunch is that Jesus read this with such authority and such conviction that people wanted to know what he had to say. I don't know if any of you here ever listen to audiobooks, whether you like the the joy of sitting down and listening to a book being read to you. But I find there's a real difference between when an audiobook is read by a random celebrity who's been chosen as opposed to when it's read by the original author. There is a difference, isn't there, by how it's read. There's a a famous story about Stephen Fry and the Harry Potter books that when he was reading, uh, I think, the first or second book, He wanted to to change one of the sentences because he was struggling to say it. It was that Harry pocketed it was the sentence. He pocketed it. And he phoned J.K. Rowling and said, is there any chance I can change it to Harry put it in his pocket? And she said, no, because when children are reading along with you, I want to make sure that they're reading it exactly as I wrote it. And so he said, fine. And he taught himself to try to say Harry pocketed it. J.K. Rowling then put that sentence in every book since that one just to wind up Stephen Fry, which I think is very insightful and very clever. But actually, if you were to hear any book read by its original author, the way they read it would be very different to how a random person would read it. Because they would know how the character sounded in their head when they wrote it. They would know the inclinations and the way the rise and fall of the text as they were writing it. The, The bits behind the scenes that you don't know that's in their heads, but they do. And they would bring that into how they say it, into how they read it, into how they make it known. I think the same was true of Jesus here. That as he stood up to read from Isaiah, people were hearing it as if they were hearing it for the first time. That they'd never heard it read like this before, the way that Jesus was reading it. And so Jesus reads the scroll and he sits down. And that's not because he's not going to do anything, because it was customary in uh, the time for Jewish people that when they're teaching, they would sit down to teach. They wouldn't stand up like this. They would sit down to teach. And Jesus sits down, and then we have my favorite passage in in this entire section of scripture. I love the way that this is written. I love the way that Luke portrays this. He says, all eyes were on Jesus. Every single pair of eyes in that room was on Jesus. Without exception. Waiting to see what he's going to say. Hungry to hear what this new rabbi is going to teach about that passage. Why did he turn to there? What was it about that passage he wanted to say? And every single eye is on Jesus as he sits down. And then I imagine a brief silence and Jesus just looking up. Catching the gaze of every eye on him. And saying, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the Messiah has come. The one whom this is written about is here, and I am he. A really powerful few words that Jesus says that for some people may have seen as being the greatest blasphemy of all time, for others would have stirred the greatest hope they've ever, ever known. And you can imagine either one of two things happened. A completely palpable silence filled the room, or murmurs began. Maybe murmurs of excitement, of expectation, of them asking, is this really the one? Is this him? Is it really him? Those who grew up with Jesus would have known possibly about his birth narrative and the story that would have been told by Mary, I'm sure, time and time again. And they're thinking, is this the time? Is this the one? And those murmurs begin to rise. And at this point... There may be some who think it is blasphemy, but at the moment it says that we read that everybody, it goes on and says, that all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask. Something about what Jesus is doing in this moment is changing hearts and minds and lives as he speaks these words of prophecy from Isaiah. And we know with the gift and the benefit and the joy of hindsight that what Jesus is reading from Isaiah is essentially his mission statement of everything he went on to go and do, to bring sight to the blind, to speak to the poor and the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. All these things we know that Jesus went on to do in his life and his ministry. But for those who are hearing it for the first time, they're yet to see what he's capable of. They're yet to see what he's going to do. They're yet to see who this Messiah is and what he's going to do to bring about the kingdom of God. Or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, as Isaiah puts it. But there's something in that room, in that synagogue that captures my imagination as we picture all eyes on Jesus. And it's left me asking the question of myself, and I hope will leave you asking the question of yourselves. Are my eyes fully on Jesus? In my life, are my eyes fully on Jesus? Right now, today, in this moment, are my eyes as fully on Jesus as they could be? I don't know about you, but, but my start of the year has begun with many distractions. So many things going on that it's very easy to be distracted from Jesus. And I have to ask myself regularly, are my eyes fully on Jesus? Or am I being distracted by these things, these circumstances, the things that are going on around me? And how can I get my gaze back on the person of Jesus Christ and be captivated by him once again? It's no coincidence that so many people, when they talk about meeting Jesus for the first time, will say, I was blind, but now I see. Because in the face of Jesus, we find all our hope, our salvation, our healing, our restoration, all the things that we know Jesus to be and all the things we know Jesus to give are found in his eyes and in his face. And so we turn our eyes to him. And then I've also been asking myself this question. And this is a deeper, harder question for me. As somebody who loves listening to podcasts, I love reading books. I love kind of exploring what other people have said about God and how uh, our lives, how we can be inspired by them and their understanding and their teaching and how sometimes you can get these people who just seem to be in this place of getting revelation after revelation of God and they're just sharing it with you and it's growing your relationship with God in incredible ways and I'm really grateful for all of those things. But sometimes I have to ask myself, this question, is Jesus my main teacher? You know, I've, I've thought about different people in my life who, who have been good teachers to me. Uh, those people who have taught me well, whether that's in school or those people who've taught me well about Jesus uh, through sermons or through one-to-one discipleship or through whatever it may be. And I'm grateful for all of those things. And I'm grateful for all the things I'm learning at the moment about discipleship and particularly about Sabbath and rest in the things I'm listening to and the things I'm reading. But I want to ensure that as good as those voices are and as much as God can speak through those people, I want to make sure that my greatest teacher, my primary teacher, my main teacher is Jesus himself. To be seeking his voice To be the loudest in my life. Whether through his word or through him speaking to me. In prayer or worship directly. I want to ensure always that his voice. Is the loudest in my life. And that can be a challenge. And sometimes I will need others to help me hear that voice. And sometimes I will need to walk alongside others. Or hear from others. But essentially. It's about keeping our focus on him. Last week, Liz was uh, preaching on the um, turning of water into wine, and she pointed out the fact that Mary said, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. A great principle for life. Like the best principle there is for life. Do whatever he tells you to do. And today, it's almost like we're in this passage, hearing uh, the writer Luke say, Hear whatever he has to say. Listen to him. Because he is the word of God. Make his voice the loudest in your life. And keep your gaze on him. Because this is ultimately what being a disciple is about. Those eyes of those disciples in that room, not just the 12 apostles, but anybody who was in that room and who then decided to get up and follow Jesus and walk with him wherever he went, had the crowds of people, however many hundreds of disciples Jesus had, each of them was following him in order to learn about the kingdom of God, in order to learn about God as their father, in order to learn about Jesus as the Messiah, they were following and they were learning and they were growing in their relationship with God. And that's my desire for my life. Just yesterday, I was with a group of people who I meet with every Saturday uh, from Australia and Europe. And we're just, uh, we were talking about transformation and the transformation that Jesus does in our lives, how sometimes you have these incredible moments of transformation, but most of our transformation is more gradual. Uh, is more slow than that. Never really as fast as we want it to be, if we're honest with ourselves. We want to be transformed now. We want that bit of our life changed now. But most transformation that happens in our life is more gradual than that. And it happens with daily surrender to the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, to be surrendered to him and allow him to do his work in our lives. But whatever changes I go through in my life, my desire is that I know him and love him better every single day. That at the end of my life, I'll be able to say that I love him more then than I did in the beginning. As we've been talking about discipleship and what being an apprentice to Jesus really means, that it means being with Jesus, it means being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did In order for us to be able to do that, we need to be looking to him and hearing from him. I know I've talked before about how uh, there was a phrase that was used by, by disciples at the time. And it was the phrase being covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which basically means that you follow him so closely throughout the day that his dust is kicked up. And at the end of the day, you're covered in his dust. I want that in my life with Jesus. I want to follow him so closely and so intently that at the end of the day, I can say I'm covered in his dust. And I was wondering, what does that mean? What does that look like in my daily life? And I was trying to work out how to picture it. What does it mean to say, look to Jesus, look on his face? What does it mean to hear his voice? And this morning at St. Mark's, I preached this exact same sermon, and then we did communion as we always do communion. And I used the same communion plate that I've used for the past five years. Every Sunday without fail at St. Mark's, I've used the same communion plate. And for the first time today, I noticed that right in the middle of that plate is a picture of Jesus's face. (laughs) Never seen it before. I don't know why I've never seen it before, but I'd never seen it before. And it kind of got me thinking about how do we find Jesus in those ordinary, everyday moments. For me, it's about reading his Word and reading about him and finding Jesus in these pages. It's about choosing to worship him whether I feel like it or not and asking him to show his face to me as I worship It's about prayerfully being in his presence and talking to him on a regular basis, but taking time to stop and to hear what he has to say to me, laying down my agenda of prayer requests and just stopping and listening. It's about seeing his face in unexpected places. It's about seeing his face in the faces of others who know him and see him at work in the lives of others uh, an example of this a practical everyday example of this is in how you see Jesus in the compassion of others yesterday morning Marigold Humphreys passed away, those of you who, in Staple, who know Staplefield will know Marigold well and it's really sad, she was a really beautiful uh, child of God really faithful person to the village and she was really committed to Staplefield for many many years and, and we love her and we miss her for the past six months, she's been staying at Compton's house in Linfield, which is a, a care home run by three churches in Linfield. And the staff there are incredible. Every time I visited, what I saw was the compassion of Jesus in action. And I believe that in seeing that, I saw his face in those who served there. We can find the face of Jesus if we're looking for it in many places. Some are surprise. Some more obvious. But are we looking? Are we asking to see his face? Are we turning our gaze to him? Even in the distractions and the craziness and the busyness of life. As the famous hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the world will grow strangely dim as you look on his glory and grace. In worship, in prayer, as you read the word, as you meet with others who know him, as you seek him in the everyday life. We want to be disciples of Jesus. And I know I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Being a disciple of Jesus is not and cannot be a hobby. This is a way of life. If we want to look in the face of Jesus intentionally every day and his voice to be the loudest, we need to make him our number one priority in life above all and everything else. To seek him in all things. And in him we find joy and peace and hope and life in all its fullness. Jesus is so much more than a get into heaven for free card. He is life itself and we can know him today and we can follow him today. We can be with him today, be like him today, do what he did today as we seek to be disciples of him. Every eye in the synagogue was on him. As he proclaimed these words, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And as disciples of Jesus today, in the light of the resurrection and the ascension and all that Jesus has done, we continue that mission. To be there for the poor, to bind up the broken hearted, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour the kingdom of God. So may our eyes be on him and may his voice be the loudest in our lives today and always. Amen.